Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Real Change series on the Meta Hour with Sharon Salzberg. Inspired by Sharon's newest book, Real Change, this series features conversations with activists, artists, and teachers, all discussing the intersection of meditation and social action. To learn more, visit realchangebook.com. Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg, and I'm delighted to be speaking with the very talented Sarah Jones today for the Real Change podcast series. Sarah is a Tony Award-winning performer, writer, comedian, and activist. Called a master of the genre by the New York Times, Sarah is known for her multi-character one-person shows, including Broadway hit Bridge and Tunnel and the critically acclaimed show Sell by Date. She's given multiple main stage TED Talks, garnering millions of views, and performed for President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama at the White House. Sarah recently launched Foment Productions, 
a social justice-focused entertainment company aligned with her progressive intersectional activism. A documentary inspired by Sell by Date will be its first production, exploring one of the most critical issues at the intersection of race, feminism, power, and economics in our current cultural climate, the sex industry. Additionally, Sarah has appeared in film and TV projects ranging from Sesame Street to Marriage Story, and she will next be seen as a co-lead opposite Julie Delpy and Elizabeth Shue in Delpy's upcoming Netflix dramedy series, On the Verge. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Oh, Sharon, thank you for having me. I just feel so warm. I I, don't, I know you read some things about me that I'm, I'm aware of because I was there, but <laughs> mostly I just had this warm feeling listening to your voice, and I'm so glad to be here. Oh, this is the way we connect these days, and it's so delightful. It's been a while since I've seen you. It's so nice to connect with you, really. Yes, it's, yes, too long and yet the perfect amount of time. <laughs> and I'm I'm such an enormous fan of your work. Even even reading it off, I thought, oh, I remember going to see that, and it was so great. And uh, I wondered if we could start by a little bit of your story and and hearing how you came to be such a creative force in the world. Oh well, I remember you coming. I you know I yeah. I I I struggle sometimes with the space between um, you know how I kind of have this private um, relationship to my art and to the people I love who inspire my art and inform my art. And then the public conversation, you know, I, I, I always hesitate and I think, oh, I don't want Sharon to think I'm being performative about how happy I am to be on the podcast. <laughs> but that kind of, you know, even that, uh, the, the kind of, I think of it as my, the fun neurotic journeys that my mind takes me on at any given moment. Um, that's really underneath my creativity, uh, and I've come to embrace it and to have a sense of humor about it, um, even alongside the very serious uh, aspects of, you know, social justice work and the ever urgent need for, um, you know, creating a more compassionate and just and I'll say sane, even though I know it's tricky and I don't want to, you know, I fall somewhere along the neuro neurodiverse spectrum myself in terms of emotional health and, you know, mental health. So I never want to be too flippant and say this crazy world, but I do think that there's, um, sane in the sense of health, you know, mm -hmm. who do we want to be as a healthy society? That's what's really underneath my work. And I've been this way since I was a little girl. Uh, you know, I come from a multicultural family and my, uh, character work came from the people I sat around the, you know, back then it would have been a Thanksgiving table. And today I, I prefer a truthsgiving, but mm, it's, mm -hmm. you know, all of my relatives, black and white, my mother's a mix of Irish American and German American. And there are both Christians and Jews on that side of the family. And she's also a mix of Caribbean. I have Dominican relatives on that side and then African-American on my dad's side. And that mix felt like a microcosm of the world. And I started um, embodying these different voices and people around me who, you know, Sharon, it's me, Lorraine. I just wanted to say hello. I don't want to interrupt the podcast. <laughs> oh, uh, but, 
yes, but we love you, all of us, the whole we. And, you know, there's my Nareda is in there. She wants to tell you how happy she is about the mindfulness practices. And she sits in traffic and she, you know, sends loving kindness to people. And it's all because of you. So there, that's a little sense of uh, the many inhabitants of my head who have made their way into my work. That's fantastic. I mean, I imagine in some way, unconsciously, that's how we are, all of us, you know, each of us. Like when the Buddha said, um, within this fathom long, long body, I don't even know what a fathom is, but I guess it's the length of a body. Uh, in, in this fathom long body is the universe. Mm. Mm. I love and, that. And here we are, you know, uh, the multiplicity of, of who we are, each one of us. And of course, we don't think in those terms ordinarily. It's so fantastic that you did. And when people, um, one of my favorite reflections, actually, I think it is my very favorite reflection that I ask people to do is say we're about to to sit together, to meditate together. And I say, uh, just see who comes to mind in terms of anybody who has played a role in your being here in this room right now. Uh, because no one just haphazardly drops in, you know, we're coming together, even if it's on Zoom, you know, for uh, because of relationships and conversations and influences and confrontations and hurt and help and so many things. And, and so almost to like embody all of that instead of just imagine it, it would be fantastic. And it's what you do. It is. It is. It is fun. I used to joke that I am, you know, I'm the original Airbnb with like, all these <laughs> people that just take up residence in me. But I, I do, I love that you, and I know, you know, part of my practice is to make sure I listen to teachers like you who help us understand that the hurt is as kind of, you know, that, that the, all the colors of who we are and our experience are what make, you know, the palette so beautiful like the and i when you kind of described um that prompt i thought oh it i don't think it would ever be one person for me i'm always sitting with multiple people and usually in a place of real gratitude mhm mhm and when did uh, contemplative practice enter your life or has that always just been the thread from the time you were a child as well you know, I was reflecting recently on how um, I always, I don't want to say channeled, but I would, you know, kind of go inward to find these voices. It would be a, you know, a relative when I needed to call on um, support, you know, when my internal life, my inner life felt uh, unmanageable sometimes I could turn to these imaginary friends. I think we all do. And I almost think of my imaginary friends or these, you know, people who were loosely based on real people in my life as, um, I think that they were my original, like I was meditating. I was meditating in the sense of fully bringing my attention to what was coming up for me in, in that moment. Um, it, it really is meditative for me to think about someone else's experience and where it meets my own experience, even if that's in the form of it, you know, sort of coming out through my mouth, um, my kind of trying to occupy a, a space 
of understanding, mm-hmm. of comp- compassion for another person, empathy with another person. That that was a form of meditation for me. I think even when I was very little, I could sort of sit and stare, even at the cat. I would just look at the cat mm-hmm. and think, hmm, what's happening for the cat? And then just sort of be there with that. So it wasn't formal in any way, but I feel like some kind of groundwork was laid when I was very little. And then I think it was college when I became, when I, I, I think it was, I went to a college that had, um, I had access to Quaker traditions and just sort of sitting and waiting for the spirit to move you before you spoke. And that was an initial introduction. And then Buddhist practice came onto my radar in various ways. Um, I lost a loved one and someone gave me um, a Buddhist book about um, grief and Mm. being with grief. And that was so powerful. And then I gradually found, I found you, I found Tar Brock, Mm -hmm. I I found um, Pema Chodron and John Kabat-Zinn. So I think you all were kind of my four anchors in the beginning. Then I found kind of um, Eckhart Tolle and the power of now. So I was, I think I was a spiritual seeker and it felt like meditation, the invitation to sit with my thoughts instead of run from them. Um, And, you know, I think I was taught this um, notion of clearing the mind and that did not work for me. Mm -hmm, My mind mm -hmm. never shuts up. It just never shuts up. (laughs) So the idea that I was welcome, even if I couldn't silence the voices, but that instead I and all of my voices, (laughs) the many, the the whole menagerie, was welcome on the cushion. That was revolutionary. So it was probably college into my early adulthood. And then I just, um, I, you know, even if I go long periods without coming back to formal practice, it's such a beautiful homecoming anytime mm. I do. Yeah. That's so, I do think that's one of the biggest misconceptions ever that, and the language, the poetry of it, kind of supports that we're going to clear the mind we're going to experience our minds as empty it's going to be this it's going to be that and it's never that way you know because that's actually not what the practice is designed for it's not to make our minds blank but to change our relationship to all of our thoughts and feelings and sensations in our life you know it's all about relationship and not eradication you know it's not an eradication program but everyone tends to start out thinking that way and um, I can see why, and, and it, it can be a really big problem. And I was actually thinking um, just before of asking you if you had love or loving kindness or forgiveness for all of your characters. You know, I really do. I love that question. I have performed um, characters who are very different than I am and who, you know, I <laughs> there's one in particular uh, his name is Hank, and I think you may have met him when we got to do a podcast together. But if you didn't mm-hmm. meet him that day, he's uh, my name is Hank, and uh, I want to start off by saying uh, Sarah Jones and I have not been on speaking terms because she continues to believe in this uh, uh, fraudulent uh, result. All right, I'm going to stop him right there. I can't even listen to him. Yeah, right. Okay, <laughs> I got okay? it. Okay, <laughs> but you get who he is, yeah, yeah. and he and he lives here rent free. And I have had to cultivate compassion for him in order to really um, inhabit or access uh, his 
his truth and his story and who he knows himself to be. Like, I don't get to get in there and fiddle around and say, well, you should change or you should, he's not, I've tried, you know, I, yeah. I admit yeah. I've tried to, I've, there've been times when I've tried to manipulate my characters and they won't go um, anywhere, but you know, where they want to be. And it's a fascinating exercise as an artist to not really be in control Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. to find that the, the the creative practice is one of allowing myself to be with this person I've, who has chosen me yeah. or who I've, I've chosen to portray. So he's one example of someone I've really learned to um, disagree with and even dislike while also having compassion and um, forgiveness for who he is and the things that the ways I know he does harm. I've never written fiction. Um, although who knows the day may come, but uh, actually, uh, but you know, novelists, I, I hear the way they describe the process, you know, sometimes like the character wanted to do that, you know, or the character yes. appeared and, I think, really? You know, it's like yes. you're just kind of sitting there, you know, and <laughs> apparently that's the way it works, you know, and I can well understand that, actually. Yeah, I, I, that is my experience. I actually think meditation, I think loving kindness practice has done more for my, um, you know, kind of surrender. I, I like the word surrender. I think that it's not about defeat. It's about, um, you know, coming into alignment with reality. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. so little mm-hmm. that I'm controlling. And so when I stop control, when I stop being in the illusion of control um, for the brief periods that I'm able to do that, there's a lovely kind of, um, I get to be in a, a participatory reality instead of, you know, trying to like wrangle anything to, to, to only go the way I want it to go. Mm-hmm. So my creative process is no different. If I'm trying to, you know, kind of strong arm a character or a story, uh, you know, I, I just feel the characters sit back and wait for me to tire myself out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it is, you know, there are similarities of course with, with nonfiction. When I was writing uh, this book, Faith, uh, Faith, Trusting Your Own Deepest Experience, which was my most personal book and, and the most difficult experience I ever had writing and I'm sure those two are not you know disconnected um at one point I was and also I think I have a lot of problem uh, or challenge when I'm writing because the topics are so like elevated that my writing can get really like highfalutin you know and it's just like too much and uh, I was talking to um this writer Susan Griffin who's a fantastic writer and and she said to me in the process of writing faith, she said, you've got to stop thinking of yourself as the person who's writing this book. You've got to start thinking of yourself as the first person who gets to read this book. And, and that was a lifesaver actually, (laughs) you know, because as soon as I was trying, I was trying too hard. And if I could just sit there and, and be somewhat more receptive, which of course is very similar to the meditative state, uh, then things could actually move. So, and it's My funny, you know, to think of that word surrender, which is so powerful, also coming from you as an activist, you know, because they're connected as well, but most people don't see that connection. 
I see them as, as I was saying, my shoulders dropped as you were speaking. And I, I do think that there is a, a powerful opportunity through, you know, meditation throughout the day. And when I say that, I don't mean I stop, drop and sit, you know, in the, in the middle of the supermarket. <laughs> right, right. But I will have a moment of surrender in Trader Joe's or in, you know, I, I don't, let me articulate this a little better. There is a way in which since I was a little girl, and I've talked about this with you, um, you know, the attachment style or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. language we mm-hmm. want to use around the, you know, dysfunctional aspects of my childhood, the painful aspects and the ways that I didn't, you know, get some of the love that I think I needed for various reasons, not because anybody was bad or doing anything wrong per se, but because the world was just unfolding the way it was for me at that time. I have really um, struggled with letting go. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it has felt like I have to kind of rest, W-R-E-S-T, you know, love and acceptance and um, safety from the world, from an unfriendly universe. I have Mm -hmm. definitely felt that sense of I'm not safe, I'm not loved, I'm not okay, and I have to move through the world in a vigilant, defended, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, way to get my needs met. And so this practice of meditating in the middle of Trader Joe, just feeling myself kind of say, oh, they don't have this. And then softening and saying, huh, what do you know? They don't have that thing. I don't Mm -hmm. need that thing today. Like that, even that can be just a moment of meditation, of coming home to the present where all is well, um, observing the thought that all isn't well, and just sort of walking with that thought up to the checkout with my little mask (laughs) and my little (laughs) six feet of distance. You know, I just see how practical, um, how the practical application for applications for surrender would change this entire world if everybody, including me, used them on a more regular basis. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, thank you for for saying all that. It's um, it's very touching, and I think it's it's so important because, uh, you know, those very defenses. I think for any of us who have struggled with anything, you know, and certainly as a child, that those very defenses, you know, are the sources of strength for a long time and, and the ways we get through and and they're kind of useful they, you know they needn't be belittled in any way but they kind of wear out their welcome at a certain point you know you think well that was a long time ago i was growing up in washington heights you know now i'm trader joe's <laughs> that was like 60 years ago you know like maybe i don't have to be in such a rush maybe i don't have to be so hyper vigilant maybe you know Maybe I can actually enjoy this process, even enjoy the fact that they don't have the thing I came in for, you know, and find an alternative. (laughs) I never knew you could use that instead. You know, and it is, it's so much a process of relaxing. Uh, It's kind of extraordinary. Yes, I love that. You just made me think, going from uh, resting, W-R-E-S-T-I-N-G, to resting, R-E-S-T, yeah. So thank you for being a part, a big part of, of uh, and a very important part of the book, Real Change, my most recent book. And um, it was this moment in time, which I've, I've often talked about, where I was actually talking to Bell Hooks, who's um, 
very, very, very exacting in her use of language. And she told me she didn't like the term social change because, or social action. Uh, she didn't like the term social action because it made her think that some people would believe that only meant marching or protesting in some overt way. And she looked at me and she said, what about art? You know, what about uh, the art, which we count on actually to dissolve boundaries or show us a vision of what could be possible or just shake us up, you know, out of complacency. And and so that became an important part of my thinking in, in writing the book. Like, what about art? And look at how I count on art and um, look at how we count on art. And so you were a fabulous contributor to that. And clearly there's a relationship between art and creativity and and activism. I feel, first of all, it was such a profound, like it was that mix of, I was so honored and I was so excited. You know, it was like a giddy honor. I don't know if that's a real thing, but I just was like, ooh, I think I squealed. And, oh, Sharon wants me to, you know, talk about art in her book. I just couldn't believe it. And I think that combination of, you know, giddiness and playfulness and joy in me and the desire that everyone should have access to that. And, you know, when we don't, when we are not, when we don't have a world that inspires and allows the flourishing of all of its people, something is terribly, um, I, I mean, even, you know, the binaries of like what's wrong and what's bad and what's evil and all of that. I just think there's a basic common sense that all little kids have that gets um, kind of knocked out of us by all the hierarchies and the, the you know, the teachings uh, about who is important and who isn't and who deserves love and who deserves care and safety and good schools and safe neighborhoods in which to play and who doesn't that all for me is, you know, kind of entangled. Mm-hmm. And as, uh, as a, a very little person, I remember being able to feel uh, a sense of hope. But when I watched Lily Tomlin or when I, you know, um, saw, um, I think it was Whoopi Goldberg do her, you know, one person show where she looked more like me than most people on TV at that time. And I could identify with her and her taking up space felt powerful and important. And she moved me and I laughed. And, you know, uh, John Leguizamo was another person for me, like hearing Spanish spoken and hearing accents. And, you know, all of this was about claiming space and just their being on TV was activism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I think I got it very early on that I wanted to, um, have access to more joy and play and, you know, being centered instead of marginalized. And I wanted that for everybody. And so that's where I think the art and activism for me were almost synonymous. If you're going to be effective in your activism, you better move people. And if you Mm -hmm. want to move people, often creativity, you know, get them singing. I think of, you know, Mahalia Jackson or, you know, Bob Marley these are people who's were probably being played in many racist living rooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because their voices, you know, went straight to people's hearts, 
I don't know. Did people vote differently? Did people get up, stand up, even though they were, you know, Republican? I don't know. But I, I, I like to believe that that's just as much as, in fact, far more so, you just said it, you know, far more than any political system, this, you know, kind of pat sounding notion of hearts and minds, the way people are moved is through their souls and through art and through, um, I think, connection that defies some of the conventional notions of, you know, who's on what side. Well, another way of, of saying not being marginalized or not being marginalized is saying belonging, that I belong, you know, and you belong. And, oh, and, yeah. You know, that you have a home. I have a home, actually. And and we don't find one another, I think, through – well, certainly we don't find one another conceptually, you know, through discourse. We – we find one another by having some kind of glimpse of someone else's vulnerability or, or longing or, uh, you know, infatuation or, you know, it's just some relationship that we can um, honor because I think, oh yeah, I have that kind of too, you know, it, it looks a little different in my life, but I, I can resonate with this. I have an idea about this and, and we do count on uh, even very popular culture. We count on media. Um, we count on social media to deliver that. It doesn't always by any means, but uh, we kind of need that actually. Mm, absolutely. And in a time like this, you know, I was thinking about like, like you said, belonging. Oh, it's so delicious because it, it it's everything that right, art is an invitation. Mm-hmm. Even when, even when it's a pro- provocative or, you know, kind of what some people might call controversial, it's an in- invitation to engage on a human level, um, with, you know, that kind of, um, the, the space between our, uh, intellect, because, you, you know, discourse also helps. Mm-hmm. We, we need, you know, we need the kind of intellectual exercise. I've, I mean, today I think is, uh, either, I think it's James Baldwin's birthday. I'm not positive. And if I, if I did get that right, you can thank social media. But I think of, you know, public intellectuals who are also artists, who are also spiritual teachers. I mean, these are my favorite people. I think yeah. of you. Yeah. I think of, you know, there are so many people who are living and experimenting um, in a very human public way at that, you know, intersection of art and activism and heart space and intellectual space. They're all really, I think of them, you know, knitted together. And sometimes social media does offer that. I love that you're on there. It, it almost, oh, yeah. gives, you know, it reminds me, oh, right. We have these ideas and this is a, this is a medium that exists. And can we, you know, I mean, especially in a pandemic, my goodness, sometimes yeah, I, yeah. I feel you post something and I feel more connected and, you know, um, able to cre- to create something in the moment and hopefully vice versa, you know, so. Definitely. Well, I was actually going to ask you about this later, but I'll ask you about it now because you seem to have like a, a, almost like a series going on on social media about loving oneself or it's like a sequence of um, uh, recommendations for taking care of yourself or love. Is that, do I have it right? Am I describing you do. It? Yeah. You do. I'm so happy that you've seen. Uh, oh, you know, yes. Kind of, <laughs> I'm <yay>. Yes. <laughs> so can you tell us? If, I like it all. I am literally like it, you know, press like or yes. retweet or whatever um, yeah. all the time. So um, 
Tell us about it. Yes, this is so while I was uh, shooting my TV show, which was a big growth opportunity for me, um, I needed community. And sometimes I was in a trailer, you know, working a 12 hour day or a 14 hour day door to door. And I, you know, I didn't have a signal and I would feel so isolated. But uh, I would post something in the morning. I, I decided actually it was right around the election uh, countdown. I thought, oh, we're all so on pins and needles around this, mm-hmm. you know, and um, how are we going to get through? And I thought self-love, you know, self-compassion, loving kindness, everything I learned from you, everything I learned from my teachers. What is a practical way to bring that to people who perhaps aren't already, you know, practitioners? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, the language of self-love and self-care, there are some people who may roll their eyes at it, but I know that for me, it's been life-saving. And so I started this 21-day countdown to the election self-love challenge (laughs) and every day I would give a prompt and let me know if you try this and people would message me I tried that thing and oh I remember the key was I only asked people to do it for two minutes Mm -hmm. because uh, the world feels like you know not so generous with time these days and the feeling can be oh I don't have time to sit on my cushion for 10 or 15 or certainly not you know 30 minutes or whatever it is but if you have two minutes, I invite people to do either a journaling prompt or something related to a, a meditative type of visualization, um, just to deeply connect with themselves, you know, as much as one can in two minutes and maybe revisit it later if they have time. And it's been really fun. I do the exercises every day myself mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel more connected and I would there I would be in my trailer feeling a connection to whoever, you know, happened to read my post that day and practice. And then I would get home and get little notes. I tried this and this is what came up or thanks for suggesting this. I'm not there yet. Or, you know, why don't you try this, Sarah? It just felt like community. Oh yeah. It's beautiful. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful use of the internet. I mean, I was in teaching a class um, somewhere and, and there was a friend in class who was a professor and he told me how, concerned he was about his students and their use of social media because he said, you know, um, it's so often used, obviously, for a curated life. You know, as he put it, nobody posts a photo of their mediocre lunch, you know. (laughs) It's like it's all going to be the best, better than yours. And, and, uh, you know, but of course, it doesn't have to be that way. It it can be so great. I just uh, thinking. So, so, I hope someone who's listening to this podcast starts an account mediocre lunch. I, I think that's a really excellent idea, and you might be the kind of person. I, who, I would certainly follow them, and now I feel inspired to post my next. You would think I work for Trader Joe's, you know. I, I eat those. I eat those ready-made made sandwiches a lot, and I just I should start posting apropos of nothing. Here's my lunch. Here's my not yeah, fancy yeah, mediocre <laughs> mediocre lunch, but. You know, it's interesting, like everything else, right? This, the moments we've lived through in 2020, yeah. There, you know, you can get as creative as you want in your descriptions of how devastating, I mean, people have lost their lives. This has been truly, um, uh, you know, the, the, I shouldn't, it, it's, a, it's half of a joke, but not really a joke, unprecedented. This has been an unprecedented mm-hmm. time in so many ways. And yet, 
the miracles I've experienced this year. And I, I used to worry that I tossed that word around too lightly, but I like the idea that a miracle is just a shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing else has changed. Only my, you know, sense of gratitude or, uh, you know, new um, awareness of something I wasn't seeing before can create a miracle. And I've, I've come, you know, I, I've come home to myself in a deeper way than I ever thought possible this year. Um, I have, um, found more community, not less in spite mm-hmm. of not being able to, you know, actually hug other mm-hmm. human beings. Um, I've had losses that were very painful and I weathered the pain in a new way that had reverence for the pain that I've never had before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had a deep relationship with grief, the grief, of our, our collective grief and really come to, I can't say I've befriended it exactly, but I really like the idea that grief is a marker of our love yeah, and yeah. you talk about that. So I guess what I'm, that's a very long way of saying, I think social media has been, um, just like anything else, fire can burn you or it can, you know, keep you warm and, and be life-saving and life-giving. And it's learning how we utilize these tools, um, you know, to, to practice loving kindness with ourselves and others. Um, and I love that you do that too in that space. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's essential and it's not just very important, but you know, um, I think I came up here, um, I'm in Barry, Mass right now. And, uh, I came up March 14th with my snow boots thinking I was going to be here for two weeks because. I had just gotten to New York and I, I thought, this feels really weird. This feels really tense. You know, I have a home and the retreat center was still open then. And I thought, I'll just go up to Barry for a few weeks. And by the time seven months rolled around, <laughs> I thought, I've got to get back to my apartment and at least like see it, you know? And like, so I did. I went back to New York for a week and I thought I would be there now uh, instead of in Barry, but it's very complicated with quarantine and, you know, everything. So I'm just waiting. Um, and it's so peaceful here and, and very safe. So it's, it's like a whole other world. <laughs> I, I got a, uh, um, because I'm such a New Yorker, you know, in so many ways, uh, <laughs> somebody stole my credit card number and, oh. uh, charged like, I don't know, 51 cents to it or something like that. <laughs> and so the, and apparently that's what they do when they steal your number because they're testing, you know, to see if oh, you're a protester. Okay. They can okay. get away with it. So I had to call Visa, and the guy I was talking to said, now, are you sure you didn't sign up for a promotion? Because if you sign up for a promotion, this was they charged it to um, DoorDash, you know, one of those food uh, delivery systems. Uh-huh. And and they said, the guy said, if you sign up for a promotion with DoorDash, it'll look like that, like 51 cents or 53 cents. So I looked out the window that I'm looking out of now at the trees and the sky. And the birds, and I said, "Believe me, DoorDash doesn't deliver here." <laughs> you know, like, Believe me, no one delivers here. <laughs> you know, like we're in another place altogether. That's so good, That's um, so great. I love that story. I have to tell you, I started laughing first because I thought, "Leave it to Sharon Salzberg to have the the good karma to only have her fraud be fifty one cents." Right. <laughs> No, that's just the prep. Then, then they get, and then it's like ten thousand dollars somewhere. But, right, right. You know, but it, it's like, and that is in a funny way. Being here, of course, has been a blessing. It's been so long since I spent long periods of time here, and right away we, um, 
uh, we thought once I once the Insight Meditation Society once they realized that they had to close, and this was before actually we got shut down. You know, <laughs> um, our executive director's motto is first to close, last to open." <laughs> you know, so <laughs> that's our path. But anyway, yeah. uh, we realized we had to try to go online, and uh, so Joseph and I, Joseph Goldstein and I, did this course online, and it was just astonishing people from all over the world and you know so many people started writing and saying you know i haven't actually been able to go physically Mm. to a retreat for so long because i'm taking care of my mother now and she's ill or i have a child or i have this responsibility or this is the only way i can have that sense of practicing together you know with with a larger community and i thought look at that this is a whole world Mm. Wow. And larger than ever. I mean, it is, it yeah. is, I, I've, I've also come into more awareness than I've ever had of the disability community yeah. and, and how, you know, people who wouldn't be able to participate in, you know, the former, I'm calling it the former configuration of mm-hmm. our world because whatever comes into being next, you know, will, will be changed. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm confident of that, but what a wonderful thing that what's happened for, and I want to be mindful, you know, sometimes my class, I, I forget, not everybody has access to the internet and yeah, smartphones. So, you know, there's a, there are layers that said for the vast majority of people, there's more access, not less um, mm-hmm. on, on a lot of levels to community and to, and to tra- I think there's a, I know the transparency is such a buzzword, but you know, Besides the mediocre lunch (laughs) factor, which I really agree with that professor. And I do see, you know, we know that there are um, all kinds of implications to particularly very young people whose only reality ever Mm -hmm. has been, you know, getting enough likes and, you know, compare and despair, as they say, with Mm -hmm. other people on the internet. That is dangerous. That said, I think the... Our ability to come together in community around activism, around, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, Mm -hmm. around, you know, trans lives matter, all of these wonderful movements that, you know, need all of our support, right? Anytime there's a, like, I always think, oh, transphobia is a cis people's problem. Mm-hmm. You know, black, black lives matter is a white people's problem. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, misogyny is a, is a, is a male problem. Like that's their problem that, that we can help them with, but they really need to do the work. And that can't happen the way that it's happened this year under any other circumstances, I don't think. So there's mm-hmm. a kind of, I have a, you know, a complex gratitude for all of this as it's been unfolding, including you know, in, in, in um, the social media space and people are more open and mm-hmm. saying, I'm, I'm depressed. Yeah. I'm in, yeah. I'm in pain. Make sure you check on your loved ones. You know, there is more of, I think, a willingness to let go of the illusion of perfection and curated life. Yeah. Sometimes like I'm, you know, I'm teaching and I'm reading the chat and it's so sad, you know, people, mm. I'm a teacher. I can't, my kids can't learn online, you know, or as you say, you know, not everyone has access to, you know, the equipment or the Wi-Fi or whatever. I mean, it's really so many things have gotten so much more obvious about this society in in this situation, but the teachers are like, I'm exhausted, you know, and, 
And it, it's just a time where I'm hoping and praying that people uh, can ask for help, you know, that, that we don't consider that need or that vulnerability as being a flaw, you know, that, that we, we do meet one another in these places that are hurting. And it's very important that, especially, you know, I think at this time, because um, actually we are close to another big transition when this form, you know, of isolation and, and things change. It's not tomorrow, but it's coming. And, and uh, you know, to, to not uh, kind of see oneself as, um, you know, incapable or, or uh, I mean, it's, I find myself personally using all those tools of my practice, like, you know, deal with what's in front of you, not the next two months ah. <laughs> all at once. You know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. I was talking to somebody um, just the other day who's a, a psychotherapist working on addiction um, in Vancouver, and he was saying that the numbers of overdoses in Vancouver were skyrocketing, and it was particularly sad because there are a lot of services there. It's not like some places in the States, you know, where you can't find it or you can't afford it or it's the wrong kind, it's punitive or whatever. Um, he said that really a lot of good and creative services, but people are too ashamed to reach out, you know? And so I, I it's sort of like my main thing I'm thinking about these days, like in this phase, you know, of like, how can we encourage one another? Because, um, you know, it's something you just said about the new form, whatever it's going to be. And, uh, you know, people, we're all talking about resilience, but usually resilience is framed as getting back to the way it was before, you know, right. being able to bounce back and it's going to be different and it can be better. It can be a lot better. Yes. I love that. I, I, that's that's it really hit me what you just said about Vancouver and I thought what are you know what's missing where what are the what are the bridges where are we not or where are they not able to connect and I think about how this culture uh, of you know rugged individualism because that's I think that's an American myth as well as a Canadian you know the kind of stoic pull yourself up by your bootstraps all of that um, is it's so inhumane. It's so, um, I'm not, I'm not blaming any particular culture, but I will mm -hmm. say, mm -hmm. you know, I, I have, I have some friends who talk about how, you know, the, the ways that we're all seeing, um, and some of us have always seen it because of who we are and the skin we're in, but white supremacy and, mm -hmm. you know, um, oppress all the, uh, all the oppressions that are under that umbrella. Right. And, you know, misogyny is also a white supremacist thing. And, you know, not respecting workers and making sure that everybody's compensated appropriately and that there's enough for everyone. You know, these have um, roots in uh, an economic system that's about domination. So it's mm -hmm. all kind of connected up. And I think when you grow up in a system that says, um, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, um, you know, hide everything. I, I got that phrase from some uh, support group work that I've done. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. It's mm -hmm. a pretty common, you know, only give, what would the neighbors say is kind mm -hmm. of the guideline for how you have to be in the world. Hide everything that, you know, might be uh, perceived as um, uh, 
problematic or, you know, showing a person as inadequate or not the norm. And then that takes, I don't know, 89% of us, <laughs> yeah. you know, and sort of puts us in this um, space of disconnection from ourselves and our truth and the ability, the, the, the you know, no, most of us are just not in the practice of asking for help or taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it does, I'm sad to hear that, but I'm not surprised that, you know, the culture of, I can't reach out, you know, it, it wouldn't, it would be unseemly to ask for my needs to be met. Mm-hmm. I think that's something we're unlearning gradually as um, cultures around the world. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, it's something I'm, I'm trying to emphasize now. It's its own kind of generosity to yourself. And that's one of the reasons I really love your series on Twitter, you know, is because it's what it's about, you know, yeah, it's yeah. really right. Yeah. Like generosity. And it's, it's so funny. Even now I'm like, Oh, I never go on Twitter. It's really Instagram, but I'm trying. I'm yeah, trying well, to, it, it, you know, whatever. I, I, what is I see it on Twitter. So someone must oh, be good. posting okay. it there. Somebody's post. Good. Somebody's yeah. doing it. But the, the feeling of I am selfish if I attend to my, to loving kindness toward myself yeah. first. Mm-hmm. And I love the, you know, uh, very well-worn at this point, um, analogy of the put your own mask on first mm-hmm, on the plane. Mm-hmm. Nobody has a problem with it when it's to save our lives, but we don't realize that we need to incrementally save our own lives every day by attending to ourselves um, in a loving, present, intentional way. And that just automatically overflows into, you know, our loved ones and our families and our communities. And the fact that so many of us have been taught you know, give the shirt off your back. Well, then everybody's freezing. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody, you know, <laughs> but I think it, it really dies hard. Even with me, I'll, I'll think to myself, oh, I better not, you know, self-love sounds selfish. Well, that's, that's my issue. If somebody thinks that my self-love practice sounds selfish, I get to learn to let them have the dignity of their own experience with that right, right. <laughs> and not try to preach to them. But I know um, that the only solution uh, for me as an artist, as a community member, is to, you know, make sure I fill my own well first um, so that I'm not coming to you with a ladle going, Sharon, <laughs> fill me up. Anytime. <laughs> a, a bucket. A bucket. I'll be there with a bucket, Sharon. <laughs> that I bought at Trader Joe's. <laughs> that I bought at Trader Joe's because they didn't have the other bucket. Anyway. So I want to ask you one other question about <laughs> writing, uh, which just popped into my head with something you said, because when you said, uh, the thing about the well-worn uh, example of put your own oxygen mask on first and something I've been saying, cause I, I hear myself speak and then I think, well, we don't do that anymore. You know, like when I say mindfulness uh, can be described as what happens when you go to a party <laughs> and, and you have been told on your way there that a particular person is really boring and who do you end up stuck talking to, but that very person. So can you let aside that, implanted idea of who they are and really listen or not. And then, so I start to say that and I say, no, we don't go to parties anymore. (laughs) You know, like we don't do that anymore. We're not so often on airplanes hearing that announcement where, you know, so I, I, I'm hearing myself as I'm using words and story and uh, thinking, oh, that, that doesn't happen anymore. The metaphors have shifted, you know, like 
what's the imagery? Well, I was sitting in front of my computer for the 18th hour, you know, and like, there's got to be some other way of, of using language. I yeah, know, it's really, we are all, I mean, you know, the the uh, joke is that the the sentence of 2020 is you're on, you're on mute. It's like yeah, trying to tell yeah. a person that they're muted on Zoom, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think kind of accept the like, imperfection Oh boy, for a recovery, a recovering perfectionist like me, um, just the daily practice of, oh, my reference is, or I, you know, I just had a birthday a couple of days ago. I'm older uh, than I've ever been, Sharon, older <laughs> than I've ever been. And, you know, I also, because I have characters, I had, you know, Bella's like my, she's like Gen Z. She originally was millennial, but she's not aging the same way as everyone else. But she like, you know, helps remind me that like, yeah, you're, you're not in touch with all the things. Sometimes your language is going to fall behind or like whatevs. And when she says whatevs, I think, oh, that, how has this become okay? But that's, you know, all of the language, um, all of the, um, references that we've been accustomed to get to shift and we get to feel awkward or crunchy or, you know, like we need to catch up or we don't care to catch up. And I think it all just gets to, I mean, I I feel like we are, um, you can tell I live in California now because surfing comes up for me as a metaphor all the time. <laughs> it never but would have occurred to me. <laughs> never would, I know. I used to use the subway because that's where I would have yeah. to be standing somewhere, someplace that's rocking. And I don't, can't get my balance or can't find a you know place to hold on. <laughs> so now I've, I guess I've traded the subway for surfing. But the idea that you know these waves of newness are just coming at us all the time, and we have these brains that love routine and don't want change, or at least my brain, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it kind of wants control and it wants you know to know everything and, and preempt everything, and that's just not the reality. And so having a practice, having a book like Real Change, you know, sitting next to my bed, I can literally um, kind of accept how powerless I feel. And uh, powerless is a tricky word for people. But I guess what I mean is I'm not all powerful. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is a relief. It's relaxation. It's allowing and surrender and all the other things we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. And and that way, as the language shifts and the world changes, I just go, oh, would you look at that? Nobody gets on a plane anymore. Nobody, you know, very few people are on the subway. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I'll adjust. And now it's pandemic jokes or, you know, we talk about mask uh, couture, mm-hmm. you know, instead mm-hmm. of a, a nice outfit, everybody's competing for the most sequins on their mask. And it's, it's all just kind of part of the flow where I get to relax into it instead of, like you said earlier, you know, vigilance. Like I just love the idea that even in the midst of a pandemic, even as an activist, my job is not to, um, you know, try to wrangle, it's not to be in a tug of war mm-hmm. with, with the world. It's to, you know, be more like water as, you know, mm-hmm. as, as the thought goes. And, um, you know, if you want to see the power of water, go to Niagara Falls. You can make a lot happen with your activism being like water. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think that's my, um, my goal now is to really listen as, you know, funny as this may sound to some ears, listen to what the universe is whispering to me at any time. Um, and then I know, is it time to post on social media? Is it time to, you know, safely with a mask, go to a protest? Do I have resources I can donate or time? Um, what does my, uh, what does this moment of flow look like in my life? 
and um, I get to look to all my guides, including you. It's pretty. Well, thank you. This is, yeah. it's just been wonderful. I don't want to stop, but I know we need to stop. So. I know I could talk to you for the rest of my life, basically. Um, it's great. We um, all love you. So we, well, the collective. Well, I love you. It's truly, it's just wonderful connecting. And uh, I don't know if there's anything um, you'd like to end with from any of your many beings. Or- my beings. Oh, my beings. Well, everyone's been so thrilled to be here. I'll let them weigh in. Hello there. Um, Sharon, I'm serene. I met you briefly because you came to the play sell by date. I have to tell you as an English woman, uh, we are not reared to sort of, um, you know, <laughs> think deeply about ourselves and our feelings uh, per se. I, you know, I don't want to stereotype myself, but certainly um, until I found your work, I thought, oh dear, I don't want to go in there. I was just sort of a great human um, you know, sort of closet with a door that remained closed. And so I want to thank you for inviting me into my own inner spaces um, where I've discovered that, you know, there's nothing quite so scary in here. I wanted to let her have a word because I don't think she's ever talked to you. Um, <laughs> and the last word I'll give to Miss Lady. Hi, Miss Sharon. Uh, my name is Miss Lady. And uh, I don't know if I got to, maybe I did get to meet you before, but I just feel like you a superstar in the best sense of the word, not like these Hollywood folks, but you, you are a superstar because you shine your light so bright that it make more light for other people. And I love that about you. So you keep on meditating and doing everything you're doing, fighting for justice. We appreciate you. Those are my folks who wanted to make sure they got a chance to love up on you, Sharon, as we say. Well, thank you all. <laughs> you must get that a lot. <laughs> Most especially thank you, (laughs) truly, uh, for all your work and your brilliance and your humor and um, for hanging in there. Thank you for making it so much easier to hang in there a day at a time. Fabulous. So uh, thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. To learn more about Sarah's work, you can visit her website at www.sarahjonesonline. That's S-A-R-A-H-J-O-N-E-S online.com or find her on social media at Yes, I'm Sarah Jones. Don't forget the H in Sarah. A big thank you to all of our listeners. This has been the Real Change Series on the Meta Hour podcast from the Be Here Now Network. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you be happy. May you live with ease. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Real Change is available September 1st in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook formats. Learn more at realchangebook.com.